Captain Scotty Smiley was a good soldier, a man of faith and patriotism. On October 13, 2004, Scotty, along with the rest of his battalion, was deployed to Iraq. As he kissed his wife, Tiffany, goodbye, he had no way of knowing that this would be the last time he would ever see her. On April 6, 2005, on a routine day of patrol, Captain Smiley noticed a suspicious vehicle approaching. Having been warned of suicide bombers in the area earlier that day, he engaged the driver and stopped the vehicle. Captain Smiley ordered the man out, but he simply raised his hands and shook his head. The vehicle began to roll forward, and Scotty Smiley knew he had to take action. He took aim and fired two rounds directly in front of the vehicle, and at that very moment, Scotty Smiley's life changed forever. The driver detonated a car bomb that sent shrapnel rifling through Scotty's eyes and into his brain, temporarily paralyzing his right side. The world went dark, and the next thing he remembered was waking up, unable to see, in a hospital bed miles away. His faith and body failing, he wrestled with his new reality and unknown future and came face to face with his greatest battle yet, to give in to despair and let those circumstances sideline him from living or to take a courageous step toward an unseen hope. Scotty Smiley, as he had done so many times before, chose the path of courage. He began rebuilding his body and strength and with it, his trust in God. Since that day, nothing has been able to slow him down. He has surfed the oceans of Hawaii, completed a triathlon, rock climbed, and became the Army's first active duty blind officer and its first blind company commander, earning the title of Army Major. Though he would never use this word to describe himself, his life and faith can only be called heroic. Here to share their story of hope and perseverance, please welcome Army Major Scotty and Tiffany Smiley. We are glad to have you all here, and uh, would you join me, those of you in St. Charles, in giving a warm welcome to our other campuses that are joining us uh, via videocast in Bartlett and Blackberry Creek and DeKalb. We are glad to have you guys with us. And, uh, you know, Scotty, I need to say right up front, because you're at a disadvantage. I can see you, you can't see me. So let me briefly describe myself. I'm six foot four. I'm, I'm really ripped physically. Okay, I got a full head of hair. I'm 50-something years old. They say I look like 30. So that's, that's pretty, does that give you an idea? It does. For some okay. reason, the audience. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't is... listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> well, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hey, let's start, speaking of Valentine's Day, let's start with the love story. How did you guys meet? And uh, Tiffany, is it true that you turned him down the first time he asked you for a date? I did. I did. He asked me for a date, and I had basketball practice on a Sunday afternoon. That's lame, Tiffany. I know. I really did. (laughs) I thought it was lame, too. So we originally met in junior high, sixth grade, uh, two young little people, and I think she kind of liked me, and I don't think I liked girls at that time, or they still had ickies. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, we, you know, growing up together, playing sports and in school together, uh, we just, I began to fall in love and asking her out on a date, and finally we were able to date our senior year, and the love just continued to grow, so. Wow, wow. So what drew you guys to each other? Originally, Tiffany, yeah. we'll start with, what, what was it about Scotty that drew you to I always loved Scotty's personality. He was always the same, always happy, um, carefree attitude, but a hard worker, loved the Lord, had a strong faith, very driven, and I was really attracted to that. Okay. And she yeah. was just a go-getter, um, sports, academics, just a stallion, would not stop at anything, and just her sense of humor, her drive, um, she looked good, too. <laughs> I think she still does. Uh, uh, just it was just it was it was just she was so attractive that you know not just her looks but her the beauty inside just her yes. emotion and, yeah. and connection just you know I could do nothing but fall in love. Yeah, so you pretty much reached over your head. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm okay. still reaching out. So you started this dating relationship in high school. Then in college, you went off to West Point. Uh, you went to nursing school. Yeah. What, uh, you know, what made you want to become a soldier? And, yeah. you know, my understanding, it's pretty hard to get into West Point. What, what it was it so like for you? You have to get a congressional or a senatorial recommendation. Uh, you can get one from the president or vice president of the United States. Um, so just that in and of itself was, was difficult interviews. You have to have really good grades, great ACT, SAT scores, um, be a part of athletics and, you know, get some type of letter. Um, so it, it was difficult. But for me, I, growing up, I just wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to one of the best colleges in, in the world. And when it came down to it, the military academy, the leadership lessons, the education that they taught, I, you know, it, it stood well above the rest. And it, it wasn't necessary that I wanted to be an officer in 99, uh, when I graduated high school, we were a country at peace. Everything was fine. Sure. Um, and so for me, it was more five years of the Army. Yeah, it's worth a free education, a great one at that. So more of my motivation was just to, to get into a great college. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this, this is pre-9-11, too. Right. So you know, we don't have a, a world on tilt with terrorism and, and right, exactly. whatnot. Sound, sounds like a good gig getting to West Point. So you go to West Point, you graduate, you get married, and you're sent off to Iraq. And my understanding is that in the first 16, 17 months of your marriage, only a very small fraction of the time, a few months, were you guys together. Wow. So what is it like starting off a mar married life, living thousands of miles apart? Yeah it, yeah, it was hard. You know, the war in Iraq changed our wedding date. Um, we were going to get married in the summer, but we knew Scotty would be deploying. So we changed our wedding date to December, got married, and then two weeks later he left to ranger school for two months, which there's no communication in ranger school. We talked, you know, I don't know, maybe once or twice for a couple minutes, and he managed to send me a little Snoopy Valentine on Valentine's <laughs> Day, which was very sweet. Just like snuck out? or <laughs> I, I don't know how he got it or who he got it <laughs> off of out in the woods, but <laughs> he managed. I have my way. <laughs> <laughs> and then after he graduated from ranger school, we were together for a few months before they received orders to deploy to Iraq for a whole year. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. It was, it was tough. I mean, just in our relationship many times was, was apart, me at the military academy, her in, in Washington State. Um, so we're used to it, but the communication uh, was always something we strove for, whether it be through email, writing letters, on the phone. Uh, we knew each other well, but it was still hard to, to have to leave your yeah. wife. Yeah. And getting the orders, and like me physically seeing them as a spouse was the first time that I realized that I'm also serving my country. Yeah, yeah. good point. And sacrificing yeah. as well. Yeah. So what... Remind us of what's going on in Iraq at the time that you arrived, because this, this yeah. is uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. What, was, what was your mission? So in March of uh, 2003, we had basically destroyed the government, just destroyed everything. And so my uh, deployment was to rebuild the country, secure, train the army, train the police force, redistribute gasoline, electricity, uh, again, always providing security, hunting down terrorists or insurgents raids in the middle of the night. Um, it was tough, and, and every day brought, brought harm. Uh, six of my men were seriously injured, had to redeploy you know, for the recovery. Um, and so constant turmoil, constant chaos, uh, and we just had to keep straight and, and yeah. continue yeah. On, on the mission. But, you know, let's talk about the danger side of things. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany, before his big accident, there, there was another scare. Uh, your first anniversary, he calls you on the phone, you speak for a few minutes, he goes to the mess hall for lunch, steps out of the mess hall, five minutes later, what, 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 describe what happens, Scotty. Um, a man walked into the mess hall and blew himself up, uh, killing 21 men and women in the United States military, uh, injuring hundreds and just ruining thousands of people's lives. And uh, my boss, the, the man who I report to every morning, woke me up at night, uh, the, the man that I directly called to uh, was killed, Captain Bill Jacobson Jr. Um, and it was just, it was devastating to have your commander just taken from you and, and then not be able to call home because they black it out, you know, was even more harmful and, and hurtful just because I knew the family back home. And, and you, you were, again, you were minutes away from this. I mean, yeah, you had just minutes away. stepped out when the, Tiffany, how did you hear about it? And what, what, yes. were, what were you thinking when you got the news? Yeah, so I hung up uh, the phone with Scotty, and he said he's going to lunch and heading to, you know, I knew he was in Mosul. 
So I went to bed, woke up in the morning to go to my nursing shift, and I always like to check my email because a note from Scotty was always great to start my day. So I went to check my email, and right, right away up on the Yahoo News was Mosul mess hall bombing, suicide wow. bombing, hundreds killed and injured. And my heart just sank because I'm thinking, okay, I just got off the phone with Scotty, yeah, and those words were seared into my mind that he was heading to lunch. And like Scotty said, they shut down all forms of communication, so there was no way for me to con get in contact with anything, anyone, any news. And a, a friend called me, he said, well, no news is good news. So I went to work, um, my nursing shift, and a doctor there had seen the news as well, knowing our circumstance, and just said, Tiffany, are you okay? And I just broke down and started crying. It, it was so hard. It wasn't until 48 hours later that I learned of my friend's husband dying. Wow. So yeah. you're, you're kind of waiting for the car to show up and yes. the yeah. military officer to get out and say, I'm bringing bad news. Yes, and I had that moment. I, was sit I came home from work that night, still hadn't heard anything, and up the driveway comes headlights. And it was the most sickening feeling I'd ever felt. I just knew, this is it. Just brace yourself. You're going to have a knock on the door. And no one wants that knock on the door. Yeah. So I just kind of sat there with that sick feeling and it ended up just being someone picking something up for my dad, and they drove wow. away. But wow. the next day wow. I learned wow. the news of what happened. So, Scotty, you survived that. Yeah. Uh, but there was a significant change in leadership. As you, you said, yeah. your company commander was killed, and a new guy stepped into his role, a guy named Jeff. And I, I want to talk about Jeff for just a minute here, uh, because I know from reading your autobiography that Jeff plays a key role yeah. in, in your life. So just describe Jeff to us. What kind of a guy um, is he? Uh, basically, if you can imagine Atlas holding the world. Uh, the man was just a physical stud. I, I remember we were best friends working out together. He's like, all right, we're going to do pull-ups. And I'm like, oh, how many? He's like, oh, we'll do 100. Uh, I can't do 10. <laughs> and he does 102. Uh, but just bright, intelligent, hilarious sense of humor. I mean, he, he, he'd, do, he'd rap over the radio, which not protocol at all. Uh, but he just had a, a way of lightening people's load and making people feel comfortable and just, you know, in, enabling people to enjoy the work that they were doing. Uh, yeah. Though it was hard and strenuous, he just had a, a, a personality that made you smile and it was just amazing to work for him. One of the lines that you quote of his in, in your book is, he would say, soldiers run on relationships. Yeah. You, you, don't, you just don't think of a soldier talking like that. No. But th this yeah. was a guy who loved his men. Exactly, and, and it, it, he, he learned it from his father who served, and it, the relationship is, is what made me want to serve more and made me and held me accountable. Like, I didn't want to upset him, not just because he was my friend, but because the personality, the, the attitude, and it, it flew through the entire company that they wanted to serve him, to not upset him, but because he held such a high standard. And wow. it was just it, that great relationship you know, wow. carried so far. And I, I'm going I'm to come back to Jeff in, in just a minute, but you were a platoon leader. So yeah. do, do I have this right? Three platoons in the company. Yeah. And, and specifically, what was your platoon doing on April 6, 2005? So I was in charge of 45 men, uh, four striker vehicles, eight-wheeled vehicles, 50 caliber machine gun on top, just amazing. Uh, and our mission was to find a suicide car bomb. Uh, just the day prior, one had hit our company and, and very seriously injured a soldier. Uh, we knew the devastation of what these vehicles and what these men were willing to do. And, uh, you know, staying off the highways, the main highways where cars re uh, normally traveled on, I found a suspicious vehicle. The back end of the car was lower than the front. It kind of meant, you know, either the suspension is gone or shocks are out or he has something heavy. Uh, but given the rules of engagement, you can't just shoot someone or do something to someone if, if they don't have a weapon or, or it's not readily, a, sure. a, a, you know, yeah. noticeable. Um, so I made a decision to court on him off. I parked my striker vehicle on the same road. I was facing east, he was facing west, no median, nothing in between us, and then the other two striker vehicles that were with me uh, in front of him. And all this that, that I'm saying right now was all recalled to me uh, because a lot of this I, I, I have forgotten. Um, but I yelled at him to get out of his vehicle, and uh, he looked over his left shoulder at me, raised his hands off the steering wheel, and shook his head no. And you know, again, I'm in a striker vehicle, metal up to my chest, helmet on, I, I, you know, bulletproof glasses on. I feel protected. I yell at him again, and he responds in the same manner, looking over his left shoulder, and then he lets his foot off the brake. And that's when I raise my 
M4, my rifle up to my shoulder. I fired two rounds in front of his vehicle, and then boom, my world went black. And what, what does that mean? That boom was his vehicle blowing up? Yep. And, he, and, and what exactly happened? He disintegrated his car, uh, you know, killing himself, uh, sending shrapnel into both of my eyes, uh, went into my brain, uh, partially paralyzing the right side of my body and blinding me uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, injured the, the man in the back, uh, had shrapnel in his face. He was later returned to duty and then, you know, knocked out my squad leader, just the concussive blasts. Um, and so for me, it was, it was my men, you know, seeing blood at my feet. I was still standing. I was hooked uh, because of my body armor. And uh, they pulled me down and just began first aid and then put me onto a stretcher and then uh, pushed me into the medical evacuation vehicle to get me to, wow. to the hospital as quick as possible to, to try to save my life. So you're just, you're just a bloody mess at this oh, point. Oh, exactly. And just... I, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately passed out. I, I don't remember anything. Um, what happened? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is where Jeff comes back into the story because mm -hmm. Jeff, and this is not protocol, but he jumps into the evacuation vehicle with you. Yeah. And um, I got to tell you what I'm about to say. I, I read this in the book and then I described it to my wife. And as I was describing it to Sue, it, it got me choked up. But the dude starts praying out loud over yeah. you that God will spare your life. And uh, this is just a reflection of who Jeff is. I mean, yeah. he's a strong follower of Jesus. This is a good time to have somebody who believes in prayer <laughs> yes. in, in your life, a close brother. So yeah. let's, let's just uh, do an aside here. Let's talk about spiritual life. Uh, what about your spiritual life? Jeff is a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Christ at this point in your life? If so, how did that begin? Yes, I, w I was blessed to be raised in a Christian family three brothers, three sisters, and, and one of the first books uh, that was read to us and, and, and throughout our life was the Bible. And uh, the verse John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. It really hit home to me. And I'm sure I was a, a young uh, punk little kid who <laughs> did daring things that acted like he could live forever. Um, but for some reason, this, this verse meant something different to me that, that yes, I would die, but there is a life after death, and if, if I believe in Christ and I ask him into my heart and ask for forgiveness, that I can live with him forever, and, and it, it really changed my life. And I don't think at that time I truly understood what impact it would later, later on mean to me, um, you know, just raised in a Christian family, heading outside to go play, stop, have you read your Bible? And of course the answer was usually no, so get downstairs, read your Bible, and not to say I didn't change a chapter to a verse a time or two, but... Um, <laughs> I, you know, I truly began to understand what having a personal relationship with God meant and, and how it would impact my life. And not just once I left, you know, once I left uh, home to the academy, joined Officer Christian Fellowship on a Tuesday night, teaching Sunday school. It just really began to impact, you know, the friends I hang, hung out with and the choices that I made that, you know, God, I wanted to be the center of it. So uh, for me, it, it, was an, it was an amazing uh, relationship that I had. Yeah. Uh, you know, with yeah. Christ and with, yeah. you know, with God. I mean, you, you, you had a nickname at this point with respect to your spiritual life, Tiffany. Yes. Yeah, well, his what? friends at West Point called him the Oak because he was so steadfast and strong in his faith. He was always yeah. praying for them and encouraging them in their walk. Always the same yeah. every day, just strong and steadfast. So his, they all called him the Oak at West yeah. Point. Now, you know, I want you all to keep this in mind because here's a guy in whose life a spiritual foundation has been laid but it's about to be shaken in a, in a major way. And, yeah. you know, there comes a point in many of our lives, if we grew up believing stuff, where push comes to shove, and that's when the real test is given. Do we really believe what we say what we, say we believe? So, uh, Tiffany, Jeff is actually the one who calls you with yes. the news. What, what is your response when you hear what he has to say? So my phone rang around 3.30 a.m. in the morning, which wasn't unusual. Scotty would call at random times, so I was really excited. I kind of leapt out of bed. Oh, yay, it's going to be Scotty. But this time it was Jeff's voice, and it was very broken. And like Scotty said, he's, he's like Atlas. He's just this warrior. And um, he, he told me what had happened. The suicide car bomb went off, and Scotty's hurt really bad. I don't even know if he's going to make it, Tiffany. And he just started crying on the phone, just sobbing, wow. you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, the only thing we can do is pray for him right now. I just, he said, I just put him on a bird, a helicopter, um, for surgery in Balad, Iraq, another city. 
um, where the surgeons were. And he said, we just have to pray, Tiffany. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Wow. Wow. And this, this was the beginning of a chain of events that, that a sovereign God was still orchestrating yeah. yes. in your life. I mean, a number of things happened at this point that just demonstrated God's in control. Talk yeah. about that. Some of the best surgeons in the world, or the best surgeons in the world, operated on me in, in Balad, Iraq, just an hour after injury, which is just, again, unheard of to have that immediate care. Uh, I was then put on another airplane uh, to fly to Launchstuhl, Germany, where my sister, by happenstance, was studying German in Germany, got a call, and her classmate was actually in the Air Force and stationed at Launchstuhl, which, again, God <laughs> working all these yeah, all things All these out. things just happen yeah. to happen. And yeah. so she takes the train up, meets me in Launchstuhl, is there to massage you know, my feet, my right hand, pray for me. My classmates are there. And then, again, totally not protocol. She's able to fly with me on the airplane back to the United States, just as you know, having a loved one next to me. And you know, meanwhile, the doctors are calling Tiffany back home and saying, you, know, you may need to get a passport really quick because your husband not, not make it. So just the army and, and that family and community just surrounding me with love Wow. Uh, just, you know, help me, help me to, to continue to fight on. Wow. So, so this is what's happening to you physically. I mean, God's intervening, sparing your life, giving you uh, great care, medical care. What, what's happening to you emotionally, uh, spiritually as you come around? I mean, are, are you upset with God that he's allowed this to happen yeah. to you? I mean, what, what is the struggle you're experiencing in areas other than the physical at this yeah, point? Yeah, I, I, I was broken. Uh, the dark, darkest and deepest depression I've ever been in um, was when I was in the hospital, waking up, um, being told by the ophthalmologist that you'll never be able to see again, half paralyzed, unable to move my right side of my body. Uh, I literally felt like my life had been taken from me, and it was true anger towards God for allowing this to happen to me. I, you know, Jesus, it, you know, kind of tells a parable that, you know, there's a Pharisee who checks all the blocks and says he does everything and he deserves heaven, and there's a tax collector who says, I've done nothing wrong, I've done everything wrong, and I don't deserve it. Uh, I, unfortunately, was the prior and, you know, felt I had, I was reading through my Bible, I was praying, I was, you know, like Tiffany said, I was the oak, I did everything right why have I now had this burden put on me? Um, I, it was just anger and, and resentment. And as a result, I, I denied God. Uh, I, I, you know, one of my friends asked me to say a prayer prior to eye surgery, and I said, you know, I don't know how to pray, and, and I don't think I know God. Wow, wow. So it's back to your parable yeah. uh, story. The, the guy who's messed up knows he needs God. Yeah. But... In some sense, your foundation spiritually worked against you because you thought, as you said, you, you had all the right boxes yeah. checked off, yeah. but, but the reality was, you know, you were distant from it. At yeah. this. What, what is that doing to you spiritually? You're, you're seeing your husband, the oak, and suddenly he's shattered spiritually. Right. What's going on in your life in terms of your faith journey at this point? Yeah, so I had been praying for Scotty's physical healing, you know, I couldn't imagine Scotty being blind. I couldn't imagine him living a fulfilling life at all. And so he was going into this eye surgery and we were just praying that, you know, some, a little bit of sight is better than no sight at all. And the minute I heard Scotty say that, it immediately changed my prayer and it put it into perspective for me. I no longer cared about his eyesight. I could have cared less, but I wanted his heart to be for the Lord. So I began praying for his heart. Yes. And I honestly, I mean, it was the Holy Spirit because I honestly did not care if he could see or not. Going into that surgery, I was like, what well, wow. didn't matter. So I began praying for his heart and that God would work in his heart and bring him back stronger than right. before. Right. Yeah, so. You know, there's a, there's a real important takeaway for us here, friends, and that is uh, some of us draw close to God because we're looking for answers to prayer in a life crisis. But there's a bigger crisis than the one that's presenting itself, you know, the loss of a job or health or a marriage that's in trouble. Or there, there's a spiritual problem that, you know, is at the root of every one of our lives that has to be dealt with. And that's the bigger issue. Yeah. That is, that's the scarier. Th if we don't get yes. this thing right, yes. nothing else falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Scotty, at this point in your life, while you're uh, experiencing severe depression, you're feeling at a great distance uh, from yeah. God... God sends a little 10-year-old boy by the name of Andrew Harris into yeah. your life 
to sort of re-inspire you. Yeah. I mean, this is such a cool part of your story. Tell, tell us about Andrew. Um, Andrew was a boy uh, who I taught about three years earlier, Sunday school at the United States Military Academy. And he had heard in chapel that uh, a military academy graduate named Scotty Smiley was, this is, this is hard, was, was very seriously injured. And uh, him and his dad made a trip from West Point, New York, down to come and visit me. And uh, I said no to everyone coming in my hospital. I didn't want pity. I didn't want sympathy. No to Toby Keith, Gary Sinise, the actor, four-star, three-star generals. I didn't want to say hi. But when my wife said, Scotty, Andrew Harris wants to come and say hi to you, like, I don't think she had a clue who he was. And I immediately just started crying. And he, he luckily wasn't in the room. But it broke me because... I realized God was calling to me that you can still be an influence to even small children. You just have to be strong and you have to accept me. You have to forgive you, and you most importantly have to ask me for forgiveness. And it was truly just Andrew, a little boy who, who, who literally changed my, helped change my life for me to understand that I needed to forgive. And it was hard to forgive the man who blew himself up, took his life, took my eyesight, injured other soldiers and, and, you know, changed my family's life forever. Uh, it was difficult. But most importantly, it was asking God for forgiveness. Just as I had asked God in my heart years earlier, I had to ask for forgiveness again and enable him to reinvigorate me and so I could live life to its fullest. Wow. Wow. God bless Andrew yes. Harris. Huh? And, and at this point, you're in the hospital and you're awarded a Purple Heart. Tell us what a Purple Heart is. Why do you get a Purple Heart? And what was that ceremony like for you? And George Washington, our, our first president, uh, gave a Purple Heart to those who have been injured in combat. And my older brother, uh, Neil, uh, training for special forces, uh, read the citation for me. And uh, for me, it was difficult because, you know, people who are injured or, or who have had tragedy occur in their life, you never want to accept you don't want to accept the fact that it's you, that you've been affected. And uh, for me, it, it, it was hard because, you know, having the medal put on my chest, uh, on my shirt, uh, was hard because it meant that this is the life that I'm now going to live. And my yeah, life yeah, has Up to this changed. point, it kind of been surreal, like yeah. this is happening to somebody else. And now, yeah. now you're the guy who's getting the, the Purple Heart. It's you. Yeah, it was tough. It, it was hard. And, and I think for us, you know, we can ignore the situations in our lives and, and just kind of continue. But for me, realizing that blindness was now a part of my life, realizing that my life and my wife, my, my family's life has changed permanently, uh, I had to come to that realization. Wow, wow. Now, there, there's a, a particular incident that happens around this time. You start going through rehab. Yeah. And uh, one day you, you get kind of cabin fever in the hospital and decide you're going to go out for a walk on your own. So you walk out the hospital door, cane in hand, and you get absolutely lost. Yeah. And it, it sort of terrorizes you. I'll let you pick it up from there. What, what, you know, what happened and what is the, what's the big impact that this has on your relationship with God? Yeah, months, months after I'd left the hospital going through blind rehabilitation, uh, you know, me wanting independence and not having assistance from this person, that person, and wanting to do things on my own, being the same strong person, uh, you know, I came to the realization that if I'm not going to depend on God and I'm not going to depend on others, I'm going to truly be lost. And, you know, in the 95-degree hot Palo Alto sun, uh, now not sweating, I realized and I came to a breaking point that, you know, just because I had asked God for forgiveness um, doesn't separate me from my dependence upon him. I still have to depend upon him. I have to rely on him every step of the way, and I have to rely on other people. And for me, it came to the point, it just, you know, I can't ask God, why me, why this life? But instead, what, Lord, what are you going to use me for, and how are you going to use me? Because yeah. that's what I truly needed to focus on, is, is how God can use me in this new life. And it's true acceptance of blindness that, you know, though I can ask for forgiveness, uh, there's still kind of a denial that, you know, I'm not blind. And so for me, it, it came to that head and I had to understand that blindness is now a part of my life and I was going to have God with me every step of the way. I mean, when, you're, when you're sitting down in the middle of the street and you have no idea where you are and no one to help you, it kind of underscores the fact 
that you're, you're not the independent person you thought you were. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a word. And by, by the way, I want to recommend uh, Scotty's autobiography. We've got it available in the lobby at each, each one of our campuses. You, you want to pick it up because there's so many details we're not covering in this interview. Uh, but also, it's a good book to pass on to a friend, especially one who's going through a tough time. But there's a lesson that you taught me, uh, Scotty, as I'm reading the book. There's a word that I want to accentuate here. It's the word dependence. Yeah. And, and so often we think it's those heinous sins that separate us from a holy God. And, and it is sin that gets in the yeah. way of us having a relationship with God. But there's something that's, uh, you know, that's even more of a roadblock we often don't think about. And that's just our independent spirit. Yeah. We, we don't want God being in charge of our lives. We want him to step in when we're in deep weeds. But we, you know, otherwise we want to be in charge of our own destiny, running our own, you know, navigating our own ship. And you're coming to the realization doesn't work. Some of us haven't had the opportunity to meet a tragedy like that that teaches us dependence. But that's what you were learning, that yeah. you have to have a dependent relationship on God. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's hard because all throughout the Bible, when men and women walk from God, they, they see nothing but tragedy. And for me, you know, I had seen nothing but success, and just because I was now carrying this burden, I couldn't, I had to come to realization, I can't do it on my own, and, and yes. to give God that burden, uh, the freedom w was so amazing, and yes. though I had the strength, I had, well, the, the belief structure, if I truly didn't depend upon him, I, I knew I wasn't going to make it. Yeah. I mean, in a crazy sort of way, you could even say that this, this tragedy was the grace of God in your life, yes. to, to, to bring you to the point of realizing something some of us never get around to realizing. Yeah. How, how desperately we need God. Exactly, and, and both Tiffany and I uh, live now saying that there's nothing in our lives that, that we do different because of the blessings in which God has given us. And the wow. decisions I made, the fact that I'm now blind, and <laughs> it is hard for Tiffany to be married to a blind man, but um, the blessing that God has opened up, that I now have a story that I can share his, yes. his love in my life with others is so awesome. And, yeah. it, you know, it's just, it's opened up so many doors. So... Um, we feel blessed because God has, has given us this, this gift. Well, I, you know, I want to come back to the spiritual dimension to the story. But first, just a little interlude here. You have done, speaking of being a blind person, you've done some pretty crazy stuff uh, since you, you've become blind. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scroll through some of these things. You just give me a, a few lines of explanation. What was involved here? Surfing in Hawaii. Um. It was difficult getting out um, when you realize you don't have to look anywhere. You just put your head on the board and paddle. Um, but it was amazing. Um, I'm glad that Tiffany allowed it, though. Very nervous wife sitting on the beach. Um, and not to say I went at a difficult time. I think it was just uh, November, December, where Hawaiian waves are, are pretty, pretty light. It was, there were only like six, seven-foot faces. So. I, I, I got to tell you, bro, I've had one opportunity to learn how to surf. So I had a speaking gig out in San Diego a few years back, and my son and I went out and tried to do some surfing, and he's pretty coordinated, got up right away. But the, the board is, there's like a, 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 it's rough for traction's sake, oh, yeah. and all I remember is keep trying to pull myself up onto the board, and the next day, it was like I had, I had sanded off a layer of skin on my chest. Very, very painful, never got up. So I'm reading your book, and it's like, he gets up the first time, this is not fair. All right. So, okay, another one, climbing uh, uh, Mount Rainier. Yeah, just uh, climbing, hiking, it, it was, again, another opportunity, and it kind of hitting on the independence is, you know, I'm a ranger, combat diver, airborne, infantryman, at least in my own mind, I'm a stud. Um, <laughs> a legend in your own mind. <laughs> but when you're, you've reached muscular failure and you realize the guides who have climbed the mountain 10,000 times, uh, actually have good advice, uh, you actually begin to partake in that advice. And, and it literally, you know, one of the best moments was, you know, after 13 hours uh, from climbing to 10,000 feet to 14,410, um, I literally felt like I was on the top of the world. It was just an amazing feeling. So um, it just, again, enabled me, my wife enabled me to have fun. I, I take every advantage I can take. Wow, wow, wow. So how about skiing? How'd you do that? I've been snow skiing and water skiing. I, I do not advise blind people wakeboarding. 
Um, <laughs> the edge comes quickly and the ground hits hard. Uh, we've been snow skiing in Vail, Colorado several times. It's, it's just amazing. Just uh, a guide, you know, behind me saying, and left, and right, uh, just, you know, going down the mountain. You, of course, don't get to watch the people wreck as you're heading up the chairlift, but, you know, just enjoy God's creation. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and are you yelling, like, tree, tree? Yeah, no, it's that? very nerve-wracking for me, skiing with Scotty behind him. It, it's actually, it's sort of a beautiful thing to watch because Scotty's just skiing, and you'll see him heading for a tree, and my inclination is to scream, like, there's a tree, stop! <laughs> but his guide will just be, say, and right, and he'll just nicely take a right turn and head down the mountain. <laughs> if you can't see him, there's nothing to fear, right? I, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> okay, the Ironman competitions. This, this one really wigs me out because I'm thinking... A, a triathlon means biking, means swimming, means how in the world do you do this? Yeah, so I, I have an amazing brother-in-law. I was able to complete the uh, Ironman this last uh, uh, June in Coeur d'Alene, one of the hottest days of Coeur d'Alene's history, 105 that day, 137 degree ambient heat off the cement. Tires were popping like when they would go out. You just heard these explosions. So my, yeah. my brother-in-law, I hop in the water. I just start swimming, and I'm singing songs. My partner's behind me making sure I'm going the right direction, then swims up, taps my left leg, I turn a little left, swims behind me, taps my right leg to turn me right, and he's <laughs> swimming double what I'm swimming, and then hop out, hop on my tandem bike, I sit in the back, just pedal, head droop down, just singing songs to myself. He, meanwhile, is braking, shifting gear, steering, making sure he doesn't draft, stopping for water, I'm just kind of kicking it, and then uh, on the run, we just have a, a little uh, loop we hold on to each other. It says and left and right. So uh, a great documentary is coming out, Beat Feet, uh, kind of a military term of get out there and push yourself. And so hopefully it comes out here sometime in the near future and everyone can see the, wow. the misery that I uh, <laughs> went through on the Ironman. Wow. So wow. I had a few minutes left. Uh, yes. 13 minutes to spare. So you became so. an Ironman. Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Now, these are... <laughs> these... These are the physical challenges you've faced, but then there were some educational, some mental uh, gymnastics you, you, you had to go through because you decided to stay in the Army. Yeah. The Army opened up a, a, a teaching post at West Point, but in order to qualify, you had to go back to school and get an MBA. Yeah. What is it like going to grad school in an MBA program as a blind person? It was, it was tough. It, uh, I didn't understand why I needed to go back to school. I already had an undergrad, and they didn't. And they said, well, you got to have a higher degree. Um, so, you know, choosing to, to get an MBA, uh, you have to take statistics, economics, financial accounting, marketing, advertising, just a whole slew of, of classes. And, I mean, if all you can imagine, if everyone doesn't mind closing your eyes, everyone's got your eyes closed. Got it. As you all can see up here on the board with this equation, when you move the right to left and left to right, you get this. You can see how it hurt. It, it, it was hard. Um, and, you know, for me, it, it went back to, you know, whether it be West Point or, you know, just throughout my life, I knew I couldn't do it on my own because I could see myself failing and didn't know where, what, would ha what the Army would do to me if I failed. You know, there's Leavenworth. Uh, um, <laughs> so for me, it was like I have, to, I have to have that team. I have to, you know, work hard, you know, go through the night studying, early mornings. Uh, but I had to have a team and not just giving me assistance, but me also helping them. So, again, it goes back to the teamwork and being part of a community yes. to, to, yes. Really, to really reach the goals yeah. that are are set before us. Yeah. Now, now I want to come back because we're, we're going to draw things toward a close. I want to come back to a relationship with God. It's, it's obvious why it would become such a critical part of your life. But Tiffany, yeah. how, about, yeah. how about yours? Uh, you, you know, yeah. sometimes the spouse in a situation like this, uh, you know, it's harder to understand what you're going through. Yeah. Uh, you, you made vows to this guy, and then yeah. he goes off to Iraq, and you hardly see him, and you had said, for better or for worse. Right. Uh, what does a relationship with God mean when suddenly he's blind, and you're yes. facing a life in front of you with insurmountable difficulties? Yeah. Tell us what a relationship with God means yeah. to you. The relationship with God meant every, it was everything to me at that point. Um, not that it wasn't before, but I think it was just amplified. I knew Scotty was having his own struggles, and he couldn't be there for me. I, I needed to be there for him. So it was ultimately like every day I would just say, Lord, it's me and you. How are we going to do this? Show me where to go. Direct my steps. Get me to the hospital today. 
tell me what to say to Scotty. Um, so it was really, I, I feel like I drew closer to the Lord and it was me and him on the journey and he was guiding me in how to best help Scotty. And, you know, people do ask me, oh, you could have, you could have left him. You didn't sign up for that. But in my mind, you know, God gives us choices. And who's to say that that choice of leaving him would have made me any happier? It wouldn't have. And I had a commitment to honor, and, and when you can honor that commitment and walk through that door of fear and pain, wow. there is such joy on the other side wow. of it. Wow. That's a good challenge, especially on Valentine's Day, for any of us who, who yeah. are married yeah. and think we've got big problems to overcome in that yeah. relationship. God's help is what we need. Now, yeah. you, you guys have three kids now, three boys yeah. now. Yes. And, and what, what I was amused by in your book is I'm thinking being blind ought to get you out of some of the parenting responsibilities like changing dirty diapers. And man, you, you stuck your hand in it, literally. <laughs> hey, what you can't see can't hurt you. Um, no, there, there are some stories, just whether it be my middle son telling a neighbor, you know, yeah, I had cookie dough this morning, but it's all right, my dad can't see. Um, <laughs> Um, or, you know, your youngest three-year-old, you know, Tiffany coming home, how are the boys? Oh, they all did great. And then here comes little Baylor around the corner, just tatted up with Sharpie marker all over himself. <laughs> uh, Scotty's going, we had a great day today. I'm like, really? <laughs> I didn't help with the drawings. Uh, so yeah, it, I, I, things, have, things have gotten messy with dirty diapers, but for me, you know, it's, it's part of being a father, being a yes. part of a parent. And uh, I... I love my boys to death. I, I miss them, and they're just a blast. We have yes. so much fun. Yeah. yeah, they've brought us so much joy. Now, at the close of your book, something that, that really touched me deeply, you said, I'm looking forward to heaven. Yeah. yeah. What is it about heaven that you anticipate? Yeah. So Paul writes in Romans, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And uh, the best thing that's going to happen is when I see Jesus Christ's face and he says, good job, good and faithful servant. It's going to be such an amazing thing to see my beautiful wife's face and to see my three boys who I've never seen. Uh, it's just going to be such an amazing. But it's because I accepted Christ into my heart at a young age and I have lived a life for him and I love him. That heaven is going to be the best thing uh, that, that I can ever have. Wow, wow, thank you. Is, you know, as we pull things to a close, I, I want to talk to you for just a minute about heaven, about a relationship with God, because when we do these WOW weekends, it, it's not strictly to bring in a story, kind of a chicken soup for the soul sort of story. We all go out inspired, and 24 hours from now, we've totally forgotten Scotty and Tiffany's story. You know, we want to bring in people who got a relationship with God that ca causes those of us who are still on the outside looking in to say, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want for my own life. So how do you get that? How do you get that kind of a relationship with God? And is it just due to the fact that you get raised in a Christian home and Bible pumped into you like he did? You know, I hope you picked up from the story. There, there, there were other moments in his life where, you know, the key word was surrender. He had to come to the place of surrendering, giving up his independence and casting himself fully upon Christ. And if you want a relationship with God, friend, that's where it begins. You know, the, the Bible tells us we got a problem. The, the problem is we can't have a relationship with a holy God as sinful people. And we're all sinners. And the, the Bible says that the wages of our sin, the penalty for our sin is yeah. death. If that sounds stark, if that sounds severe, just think of it this way. If there's a lamp turned on beside me here and I pull the plug out of the socket, what happens to the lamp? It goes out, right? Dies. So when we go our own way instead of God's way, and it doesn't have to be a heinous sin. We don't have to be axe murderers or adulterers or whatever. You know, we could be really messed up. We could be not messed up at all, but strictly living an independent life. I'm going to do my own thing. God's not going to tell me what to do on a daily basis. That, that's the sin that separates us from a holy God who, because he's the giver of life, when we unplug from him, what happens? We die. The Bible says there's physical death coming. And it'll be eternal death unless we get things fixed in this life. Now, fortunately, God loves us so much. 
He didn't want us spiritually dead. He didn't want us at a distance from himself. So he sends us his son, Jesus Christ, who goes to the cross and lays down his life, takes the death we deserve because of our sins. And because Jesus is the son of God, his life is of infinite worth. And and so his death applies to everybody who's willing to put their hope and trust in him, who's willing to say, I surrender. I surrender. I give you my life. I want you to be my savior. I want to get off the throne of my life. I want to stop being king, stop being queen. I want Jesus to be my king. That's where a relationship with God begins. The moment you humble yourself to say, I need you. I need you for salvation. I need you for for forgiveness of sins. I need you to lead my life on a daily basis. You're my only hope of heaven. You hold the keys. You're the one who lets me in based on what you've done for me. So until we reach that place of being totally dependent on him, we don't have that relationship with God that you've, you've seen pictured here. So what I want to do in closing is this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me. I'm just going to pray through a prayer and give you the opportunity. If you've never done what I've just described, you can do it right now. Whether you're in Bartlett or Blackberry Creek or DeKalb or here in St. Charles, I'm going to ask our campus pastors at the other campuses to lead in this prayer. I'll lead you here in St. Charles. And I want to invite you to pray from your heart a prayer by which you give up your independence and you cast yourself fully in faith upon Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? You know, the words that we're about to use, I'm going to give you some words. I'll pray a line at a time, and then I'll pause and give you a chance to kind of pray it from your own heart. I want you to know the exact words are not nearly as important as is the attitude of your heart. Do you really mean what we're about to pray? Do you really mean it? So can you pray this from your heart? Can you say, God, I don't want to live at a distance from you. And right now, I want to confess my independence, my rebellious spirit, my determination to be the master of my own fate. I want to confess that to you and say, please take that away. Can you say this to God and mean it? God, I'm so sorry for the sins that have gotten in the way of a relationship with a holy God. I'm so sorry for my lying. I'm so sorry for my lust. I'm so sorry for my pride, my materialism, all the things, the gross things that get in the way of a relationship with you. And God, this is why I need Jesus. This is why I need a Savior. This is why I need what Christ did for me on the cross. He took the death I deserve. Can you say that from your heart today? Can you pray that? Jesus took the death I deserve. And now from your heart, can you tell God, God, I want your son, Jesus, in my life. Not only as my savior from sin and from my independent bent, but I want Jesus to be the new ruler in my life. I want him to be on the throne of my life. Can you say that and mean it? Can you genuinely give up your independence right now? Before tragedy strikes, before God has to teach you this truth in a rough way, can you say, today I want to admit I can't control my life, but you can, and I want you to lead it. Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. I surrender to you. Now, while we're all still bowed, we're just speaking directly to God from our hearts, I want to ask you to do something physical, something tangible, because many of you have just made a decision. In your heart, you've said, yeah, I want to do what Scotty and Tiffany have done. I want to surrender to Christ. I want a relationship with God that's closer, more intimate than I've ever experienced. Some of you just prayed that, but I want you to do something tangible so that tomorrow morning when you wake up and you wonder, did I really do that? Did I really mean it? You'll be able to look back and say, yeah, I did. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to stand to your feet for one second and sit back down. So if you just prayed a prayer of surrender, I want you to stand up for one second and then sit back down right now, all around the auditorium, up in the balcony. Good. I see you stand and sit back down. Good. This is you. I'm surrendering to Christ today. Good. All across the auditorium. 
You know, probably the most important decision you'll ever make. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but you want to be sure you have a foundation of a relationship with God no matter what you head into. So if you still want to stand, I'm going to give you one more second here. Just stand to your feet. I want to surrender to Christ. I want him to be the Savior, the King of my life. Let me pray for you. God, you saw all those who stood, and what's more important, you see the heart of every person in this room. There's not a heart that you don't see. You see those who are already surrendered to you. You see those who just now bowed their knee and said, yes, I want Christ to be Savior and King. You also see the heart of those who are still stubbornly refusing. And God, if they don't discover that surrendered relationship in this life, they pass into an eternity apart from you. So I pray that you would soften the stubbornness of our hearts until we're willing to acclaim Jesus as Savior and King. We pray in his name. Amen. Let me tell you about a, a gift that we have for you. See, every weekend at Christ Community Church, we give people an opportunity to start a relationship with God, to trust Christ, to surrender to Him. And so over the years, we've put together a packet of information that will help you get started now in that relationship with Christ. So you just took the first step. If you stood up and you sat back down, that's step number one. Because a relationship with God doesn't begin until we surrender to Him. But how do you take that first step and make it an ongoing daily walk? That's what we've put together, information how to do it. Now, the information packet includes three things, and it's free of charge. I'm going to tell you how to pick it up uh, in just a few moments, but it includes a Bible. You heard Scotty talk about how much the Bible has come to mean in his life. You even heard him quote scripture by heart, because the Bible is a transformational book. And maybe you've never read the Bible, maybe you don't know where to start. We got a Bible in this packet with a bookmark in one of the four biographies of Jesus. So you'll start reading the story of Jesus. So that, that Bible is yours. The second thing we have in that, in that packet is a study guide called the Next Step Study Guide. It's just three or four brief lessons that will guide you through some, some Bible verses, confirm the, the decision you just made to surrender to Christ, explain a little more about what's involved. The third thing in that packet, and this is really important, we include the name and the phone number, the contact information for someone who can help you out. As you get started in the Christian life, we've got scores of people around our church who've just been walking with Jesus a short time, and they're willing to help you. They're willing to say, hey, this is how I learned how to pray. This is how I learned how to bring Christ into my marriage. And you know, So any questions you've got about the Bible or a relationship with God, that contact information is there. They're just a phone call away. They're willing to be your spiritual coach. So the way you pick up the packet is this. It's available at the Welcome Center. But we know that when we release uh, several hundred people here in just a moment, uh, you're going to be swept right past the entrance of that Welcome Center. So I don't want you to miss the Next Steps packet. So I want to give you the opportunity to pick it up during the closing song. So in just a minute, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a closing song. If you stood up, said, I want to surrender to Christ, or you didn't stand up, but in your heart you're feeling like, yeah, I, I, I should, then head on back during the closing song to the Welcome Center. You'll beat everybody else out of the auditorium. And pick up one of those Next Steps packets. All you got to say is, I want one. You'll see, by the way, a bunch of people queuing up. We gave out a number of them at our service last night. So there's one with your name on it back there. During the closing song, don't let the embarrassment of elbowing your way out of your row keep you from slipping out and picking up the Next Step packet. So we'll stand to sing the song, make it easy for you to slip out. Even those of you up in the balcony, come on down to the Welcome Center and get your Next Steps packet. And while you're standing to sing this song, would you join me in thanking our guests, Scotty and Tiffany Smiley.